celebrating the big two five and our favorite memory of all playstation Hello and welcome to the beginning of a triangle squared Christmas. Um, I thought you were gonna say that. I was gonna say the end, but I didn't have the time. The beginning of the end. Uh, no, this is not a fantastic Nine Inch Nails song and or God of War Three's back case uh, line. If I remember right, uh, God of War's tagline for God of War Three was the beginning of the end. But that also might have been God of War Two. It was definitely a God of War game. I don't think it was God of War Four. No, it wasn't God of War Four. It was, it was in the reason I think it was three is because it was toward the idea of, you know, finishing off like the beginning of it is, I don't know. The reason I think it might've been two is because technically in two at the end, you are literally leading up. God of War three does one of those great things that very few games do where three literally picks up at the exact end of two. I like that. And in movies and games. Yeah. It's always interesting. It's a lot easier with games because people don't games. The people don't age or they don't have to. Uh, there's times where I'll be watching a show and I'll come to the standpoint of, oh, hey, this is clearly the same actor, but they the show is trying to convince me that three months has passed where or even no time has passed when clearly the body of that little kid who looked a lot younger last season or last movie looks a lot different. Anyway, we are Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast, though we do, as always, talk about the uh, industry at large, the competition that we see for uh, PlayStation on not only the manufacturing side, but of course also the software side, so the uh, the publisher side. Um, we are available on video format every Monday over on YouTube, or you can listen to us on audio-only formats over on podcast services. Um, if you want to keep up with us and get and be involved in the community's take section, which is coming up here shortly, where we take a question at the end of the episode, send it out to you guys, and then let you give us your feedback and uh, kind of go over that and make us see if it makes us rethink our own stances on it or presents us with any new in- information that we think is interesting. Uh, and of course, it just gets us, uh, it, it's good to be in the know with what the community feels like on any given subject. So we like that section a lot. Uh, but of course, you can find us over on Twitter at Triangle SQRD. We have a Facebook, which is uh, Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. It's a group that you can get into. Uh, or you can find us over in our day-to-day lives on our Discord and be uh, members of not only the podcast chat or the community stake section that we have, but also just a general chat and hang out with a bunch of cool people. But getting this show on the road, of course, today, the episode that this goes, uh, the, the day this episode goes live rather than today, uh, as this is the first and probably one of the few times that we will have an episode releasing on a Tuesday, uh, for reasons that weren't tech related, I should yes. say, because I think we've had that problem happen once before. They were but, Wendy's related. Uh, yeah. When this episode does go live on Tuesday, it will be the 25th birthday of PlayStation or from the launch of the original PlayStation one. So we're going to get into that uh, a little bit, but of course, we got to start. We got to start the show off the correct way, as we always do, and that comes with a final good big changeup for Saul and a weird answer. But um, what you been playing, Saul? I have only been playing Death Stranding this week, the whole week, or starting <laughs> Wednesday. Did you play Pokemon at all? No, I didn't play Pokemon at all. No, um, I decided to take a small break from Pokemon so that I could be fully focused for Death Stranding, <clears throat> and then hop right on into that on Wednesday whenever I got off work, and I played that all weekend long. I beat it on Saturday, and <clears throat> actually, I, I, I started Breath of the Wild again just for something to play as filler, but I don't really count that because I only played like an hour of it. 
But, oh wow, uh, you didn't get you didn't even get off the Great Plateau, did you? No, I did. That, that's where I stopped. Like barely off of it. Yeah, that's yeah. that's exactly where I stopped. <laughs> but um, or whatever it's called, I don't even remember. It's been yeah, you're right. There. Good long since I'm a good long bit since I played it. Yeah, you're right. Um, it is the Great Plateau, but um, yeah, I pretty much I played through that for about an hour, but I kind of got bored with that. I did beat Death Stranding finally. I hopped in our Discord and talked for a little bit about that, and I loved it. But I do think that at some point. We were going to do a review on that, not an impressions like our older style. It's going to be a, a, a review. And yeah, you guys can hear my full thoughts there, but I did really enjoy it. So. Well, your basic thing, because I am, we haven't had much time to talk about it. On a real quick note, what's your favorite thing about it? We don't got to go into anything else. This, what was your favorite thing about it by the time you rolled credits? The story. Did it change from the beginning of the game to the end? or The story. And it was was that it the whole story the whole time the yes. story the story is what is what really drove drove me into the game okay all right well we will definitely talk more about that when we get around to hopefully doing that review in the coming weeks I would imagine uh, sometime soon yeah I, I, it should be pretty soon but we will see and it's going to be quite different for us so um, we'll we'll see I, we may even go through creating some stuff to have that be a new series but we got to do a little bit more talking about that but let us know what you want if you want to see us do reviews uh, and how you want them labeled and all that stuff just let us know uh but i on the other hand will pick up a little bit of the pokemon slack and saying that i was a little surprised that um and i'd heard a little bit of this but i hadn't done it you know i hadn't gotten there yet but how the game handles um the legendary this time around is interesting. Normally you run into and have a chance to encounter the legendary before the final gym, if I'm remembering correctly, or at least directly after one of the two. Um, and when you're doing that in a normal game, it feels like it makes sense to what Pokemon's always been. What, what this game did is subverted that expectation by moving you through the eight gems just for you to get to the point where you go through and in, in are in an entirely new section. And it's weird. I don't know how far you are in the game. I beat it. I beat it all the way. So you're talking about the post game? Is that post game? That's what I'm trying to figure out because I haven't even seen the legendaries at all. Post story. And is that where the legendary comes into play? Yes. Okay. Because I found that interesting. It wasn't. Are you sure? It wasn't much of a story if if you're just counting the eight gym badges. No. What I actually really liked about the game is that there was no true true Pokemon story where we went off the walls with some kind of weird Pokemon war or anything like that. It was really you just going through your championships. I actually really liked that for a change. It didn't have me keep track of these kooky characters for any real reason other than like that's their mascot or that's the fans of this person here. Like it was cool that way. I didn't really have to get super involved and remember like, why is this happening? Why is like sun and moon story was really good, but I don't want that again. I really liked just being I able didn't to focus beat that on one. So yeah, I'm not sure, but I guess I go back to like the idea of uh, X and Y story, most recent one. Yeah. And I thought that that handled it really well in time and having a tie between something that was interesting and kept your attention, but not being so plot heavy that it does somehow detract from the rest of the experience. You know, yeah, I mean, it, it, and, it and even was even Oros, you know, which was just a remake of, of Three's already story. It was just a little bit more fleshed out. It, it was never really distracting, but it was just super cool to finally have like what was it been really since since I guess technically Red and Blue, where there, the story was so minor that it was really more focused about you on your adventure. Mm-hmm. Trying to get stuff done. That's what that was. What I really liked about it. I mean, I'd even say the same is somewhat true of uh, of Silver and Gold. But yeah. I, it started getting the idea of stuff that was a little bit more um, world changing, in my opinion, like potentially world changing when they got into uh, Gen 3. 
So, yeah, but, and that's that's <clears> when it started kind of coming off the walls. Like these are apocalypse style Pokemon, and and what they do is, um, what? But uh, what they do is kind of like super important. But you're some kind of ten year old kid trying to catch them. It's like it's cool, especially when like you're younger. But as an adult, like this was a really cool change of pace, really more than anything. Okay. Well, yeah, uh, I've been playing a little bit of that, but I really took a backseat to that uh, early in the week when I picked up Star Wars Jedi and was able to roll through that and beat that. Um, I don't understand why you're making this so hard on yourself. Listen, I'm just always experimenting things. Just for a little a little tidbit of information, whenever it's Saul's week to do the thumbnail instead of doing uh, it after the show like anybody else would. I will forget. Saul does it during the show, and I get to watch him be very... Uh, I don't want to say incompetent. He, no, he's uninformed. It, it's not incompetent, but he's not very handy with the. Uh, it's very no program. I am. I am. I am handy with it. I am just. Oh. Oh. No. No. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I'm uneducated. I should say. I am. Okay. I am not a graphic designer. I was trying to do something cool with that, but I think you can tell what I was trying to do. But. I, I do. I can tell what you're going to do, and it would have been cool. But there's other ways to do that a lot easier, uh, which we will discuss later. This is not a graphic design podcast. This is a gaming podcast. Anyway. Uh, um, I was playing Star Wars Jedi, and I was able to go through and actually beat it yesterday. Whenever we ended up delaying, I was like, well, you know what? I don't got to do news right now. I'm just going to play my games some more. Um, good game. I really enjoyed it. Uh, the ending was really interesting. Uh, and unfortunately, there was a recent commercial that actually spoiled one of the coolest things about the ending. Um, yeah. Uh, really? over, over the weekend, there was an Xbox uh, slash Star Wars commercial. Leave it to uh, Xbox. I don't know whose fault it was, but it was very interesting that they chose to reveal that. I don't know if it was to try and get more people to buy the game, but I think that it was a bad move in taking away one of the most genuinely surprising moments um, that they soon will not be able to do if they start overdoing it too much. But right now, it's still on the cool side. Uh, but I enjoyed the game a lot. Uh, it, it, you know, We were talking about what the game looked like from the way that it was being shown, and I definitely think that holds up. Um, I wish that your PlayStation still read this so you could just borrow it and see what it was like. Because I could still like do that thing where I tap on it and it works sometimes, but it's it's a it's a hassle and you risk the disc never coming out. Oh, I don't know if I'd risk that. Is that a thing? I mean, technically, if your disc drive isn't working, you have to completely take the PlayStation apart and then take the disc drive apart to get the disc out. Well, luckily for me, like on like the the Skyrim and stuff that I've gone back and played, where I, where um. Where I did do that, like where you it, did the little love tap. Yeah, it wasn't no love tap. It's it actually sounds just like that, <laughs> so, like exactly the same. Well, we can just only hope that that picked up on the microphone. And yeah, not, so you guys can feel yeah. my frustration. But yeah, it sounds exactly the same having to beat my PlayStation. But anyway, I think you'd like the game. It does this thing where it's like a mix of Tomb Raider slash Uncharted platforming and exploration in terms of the verticality and also mixed with the style in which they do it where it's like pulled behind your back third person and you like balance and run and grip on walls and stuff but then it's also tied in with like dark souls exploration where going through the map the, the map designs are all circular back into each other in different ways so you can unlock shortcuts that's cool I like so you that. have that element um of course on the combat side it shares some dark souls nature as well with there being meditation spots uh which take the place of the bonfire essentially in this setup and you can rest at them, but unless you hit square in the PlayStation version, uh, it does not reset enemies. It just acts as a save point. 
And the game does this thing where it saves when you do individual things in an autosave-like fashion, but it's not saving where you're at in the game as much as it's saving the collectibles or something that you've unlocked in the game. If you die, it still detracts all of your progress back to the last meditation save point, which actually was kind of weird, but it, I liked it because it was like, okay, you really have a, a need not to screw up. Is there like a Star Wars lore reason on why they respawn <clears throat> enemies? As to why they respawn enemies? No, it doesn't okay. go into it. It's it's just one of I didn't those so, suspend I, for for gameplay purposes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then it dives into past that, so the combat's got that going for it. If you die, uh, you get your experience back by at least hitting the person that killed you. You have to get one land in on them, and a lot of the enemies are very block heavy. So sometimes it will take you a little bit if you were killed by something that is a bigger, better enemy. Um, and then it do- it devolves into, I won't say devolves, it goes into um, some Metroidvania-like exploration where uh, it's almost like a Mass Effect game where you get, once you're at the beginning, you slowly start to unlock more planets and you can go to the planets at any given time, no matter what your goal is. Like if you have a, an objective, it'll be shown what planet has the main objective, but you can go to any planet you want. And you can explore as long as you have the abilities needed to explore. Um and as such there's some cool stuff that you can get early game that if you don't go and do it early game uh, and this is actually thanks to Josh he uh, he told he gave me the, the the tip to go and explore outside of where I should be going so I did uh, and there's a really cool upgrade that you normally get if you don't go there early and probably like three quarters into the game that you can get right after the introduction I love when games do that like I- like Dark Souls, every every Dark Souls does it. Like you can make a fast run through over level territory to get something really cool. That's OP early game. Yeah, and it, it was really interesting because this seems like a place that, in terms of early game, it's got a lot of design decisions that you're not completely familiar with yet. In terms of things that are shows like, oh hey, this is what you're supposed to do here, and technically you can already do it, but you're just not used to seeing it quite yet. Um, in terms of like the level design and the uh, the give the giveaways that they give you, like uh, you know how in a lot of games. Uh, They'll paint whatever you're supposed to climb on yellow somehow, yeah. or they'll, or if it's like a rock ledge, they'll do like a whitewash and then leave the ones that you're not supposed to climb on a darker color. Yeah. Uh, so you kind of got to learn that stuff, and sometimes it's obvious, and sometimes it's less obvious, and then sometimes it'll confuse you because you think you should be able to do it, and it turns out you can, but you have to get something else later in the game to do it. <clears throat> it's one of those really interesting experiences, though, where I really love that I could go and kind of do things on my own terms. If I wanted to go, which I did a couple times before beating the game, I went and uh, 100% explored a planet, got everything that there was because I just felt like doing it. And I was like, who knows? There might be something interesting here. Uh, other than that, uh, I really did love the game. I think it had a great story, good voice acting. I didn't have bugs personally with it, though I have seen some people say that there are bugs. Uh, instead, what I did have, and Saul and me have already talked about this, but this is just kind of a warning for anybody who maybe have just gotten it or, or is planning to get it. Um, if you have a PS4 Pro, uh, when it runs in res- uh, in resolution mode, which puts it up into the, uh, the checkerboarded 4K uh, in 30 frames per second, there are occasional frame drops. Um, they're not terrible, but they're there, and I think occasionally they're enough to where it's slightly annoying. Instead, if you don't mind taking a small hit to the looks of the game, which I don't think in general moment movement movement to movement it, it has a huge effect, uh, then you can go to uh, res- uh, performance mode and it puts it at a, I mean, damn near locked 60 frames per second, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, so, And it did not waver, really. I mean, even if, if it dropped, I didn't notice it. And maybe it was like one or two frames, but one or two frames when you're at 60, going down to 58 doesn't feel weird. When you're at 30, going down to 20 eight and 25 feels weird because you're going under the threshold of what feels like it's possible in a natural standpoint. Um, 
So anyway, I love the game. I think if you get a chance to check it out, you should. The, the last thing I'll say about the game is that it's a little... As much as I loved it, and I think it does a lot of great things, and it restores faith in what a Star Wars game can be in a good way, I don't think that it just necessarily innovates in any kind of ridiculous way. And because of that, you could technically say that the game plays it safe. But I want to give EA credit where credit is due, because looking at where EA is as a company and what they normally choose to do, doing a Star Wars single-player game with no multiplayer and no microtransactions from a studio that just put out Titanfall 2 as their last sale like for sale game not counting apex apex is doing them well this is a really big risk for ea in the way that they normally do stuff and it looks like it's paying off so while it's safe in some ways it's very risky in others and i think that it's a it's a great game worth playing so even if it's something you get a little bit later down the line when it's 20 or 40 i would definitely recommend it do you think we'll get a franchise out of it i i don't know if it'll be a franchise within itself. I think that the ending is left in a way that it could be either, yeah. potentially. I don't want to say too much more than that. Okay. Um, but it definitely could stand on its own. But I think more than anything, it just shows that we can do better than just Battlefront games. I'm not saying there's not a place for Battlefront games, but I clearly there is, because of the how well this is sold, uh, this broke PC sales records for any uh, Star Wars game that EA's put out. This also broke digital sales records for any Star Wars game that has been put out in terms of first two week sales. Digital was higher than any other game, um, any other Star Wars game that EA's put out. So regardless of where that exactly puts the games in the total, we don't know, but it's clear breaking records, regardless of what they are, is a good thing in this industry and a good thing for a company like EA that really needs to see reasons as to why they should continue doing stuff like this. They have canceled so, so many single player Star Wars games yeah. that to see one finally come out, they've canceled almost as many Star Wars games as they've released or if not more. Um, Republic Commander sequel and then thirteen thirteen are just on the top of my head. Yeah, thirteen thirteen, the the one that came from uh, Visceral that came and went, and then they said it was going to be being redeveloped. We don't quite know where we stand with that one. It may come. I it highly may go. doubt it. It's uh, the one, out. and that was the one that uh, Amy Hennig was working on. So, if nothing else, it was definitely not going to be a Star Wars single player like it originally was when Visceral was working on it. They were saying that when it goes to this new developer, they're going to rework it to be a game that players quote come back to over and over again. So it sounds yeah, like we'll they're trying see. to switch it to a game as a service. Um, like Battlefront. It's weird, man. I think that thing about Star Wars is that it's it's older. So it's got generations of fans in a way. And I think that there's a lot of older people that aren't as uh, keen to the idea of a game as a service. And they really just like Star Wars for the world, for the lore and the story. So I think that there's a good amount of people who are buying this game purely because of that. And don't buy the other ones despite their love for Star Wars because multiplayer is not really what they're in it for. Yeah. And even when you have a storyline that's like, what, three hours in um, Battlefront 2? think something around there yeah three or four it's still like one of those things of it's obviously clearly not the focus of the game so this is great to see and uh it's also great to see that it sold so well for uh for um respawn because titanfall 2 kind of put them in a weird spot but <coughs> which is also free this coming month but i'm pretty sure that'll be in the news yeah we'll get to that in a minute but either way I thought that game was very interesting. I haven't had time to play much else, but I bought a bunch on Black Friday, so you will be very likely hearing me talk about Need for Speed Heat in the coming weeks, which I got for $30. I got um, Resident Evil 2 Remake. There you go, Josh. You kept saying I need to play it. I'm going to try and nail out Resident Evil 2 Remake and Devil May Cry 5 uh, in the weeks before we do our Game of the Year show so I can have a better palette of some of the games that people really loved this, this year so I can try and be as fair as possible. 
Um, so I grabbed both of those for $20 a piece. I grabbed uh, the Outer Worlds uh, for $35 from Target, uh, which was great. And yeah. after complaining that there was no sales for it, the next day they updated their sales and included it. Really? Bang, bang. Um, and then I bought Yakuza Zero because I love Yakuza 1, Kiwami, uh, and it was $10. So I was like, you know what? I'll go ahead and do that. So that's where I'm at. I've added five games to my backlog, <laughs> but it's good because... So that's why a backlog discussion popped up in our Discord. It, it was a recommendation from Richard, but I was like, this is actually going to be a, a very poignant little area for me for the next few weeks because it's a lot of games that... Ugh, I bought a lot of games at once, which I was trying to not to do, but it, it still plays into my idea of don't buy a game until you're going to play them unless it's on a steep enough sale. Need for Speed Heat will not be $30 for a, for a long while, so I'm fine there. I don't know. With games coming out and then immediately dropping price like within a month or two, it's kind of hit or miss now. It is hit or miss, but $30 is pretty low. It's very rare. I mean, even even games like Control, which are older, are still on sale during Black Friday for 30 You know what I mean? So it's just a, it's a hard thing to really understand. But, you, you know, it is what it is. Um, but I think it's time that we go ahead and uh, wade off into the news territory. What do you think, Saul? Community stake first. Oh, thank you. I was I am absent-minded. Our community stake. Yes. Which, of so course, for those that don't know, yeah, go ahead, Saul. the community stake question is, are you interested in or own a PSVR? Does the PS5 compatibility with the headset excite you as an owner or someone interested in owning one? Would you? Uh, what would you like to see from the next iteration of VR, and what would uh, VR that would make you want to pick it up? <clears throat> so you really did a, a bang up job on that, Saul. I did bang Thanks, bang. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite comments from this though You're is two words away from being a very popular rapper. That's true. Uh, my favorite comment from this is in our Discord, coming from Blake, because it mir- it, it, it simply just mirrors what I think about it. And he says, I'm sort of an outsider on this question, obviously, but VR to me is still too gimmicky. I definitely think it is here to stay and important for the future of gaming and technology, but they have zero killer apps, in my opinion. Plus, as a father of three who likes to play games while fiance hangs out with me, it's not really feasible. I fully agree, except on that last one, but for me, it is kind of similar. It's the reason why I like handheld gaming so much is that I could chill out on the couch and, and watch, you know, TV shows or movies and sit there and play where VR is very similar to how I play Death Stranding. You have to disconnect yourself from everything. I never played Death Stranding without a headset attached to my head for the music, the sound effects, everything. And so it actually kind of became more of a thing of like, that's not a game that I could watch something or, or anything else. I couldn't multitask because I didn't want to. And VR is the same where I do think it is important for the future. And, but I haven't yet seen anything that <coughs> want any one thing that has fully persuaded me except for beat saber. It being really, really cool. But even then it's like, I still am more towards the Oculus quest. So thanks for the comment, Blake. I, uh, I didn't put this in the news, but it uh, I mean, it's just something interesting. Uh, Facebook Oculus bought the uh, developer for Beat Saber this past week or announced the acquisition. I don't know if I like this that. past week. Um, I thought it was interesting, but I don't necessarily know that they would make their games exclusive. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like if you have a studio that well, and it depends. Maybe it's the game. I mean, obviously, they're not going to take Beat Saber off of other platforms. 
We almost never see that happen. When oh, no. The when melodic community on somebody. Steam is ridiculous. Yeah. Any so, song you could ever imagine in that game. Which, you know, even then, Oculus does go into PC, but it, it, it's one of those things of, well, would PSVR, that would be the one that would be most likely to lose it because it's not PC-based. Uh, Possibly. But even then, it really wouldn't. I've never seen a company be bought and then them uh, lock out a game. Like, you know, Minecraft would have been a very terrible decision. And I, and I know Microsoft knows that. It's part of why they did it, mm-hmm. for them to no longer support Minecraft on PS4 just because they purchased it. It would have sown a lot of discontent within the community it would have made their purchase of it look like a bad move and like they were going to ruin even on the xbox side if they were if they got power hungry with this what would keep them from ruining the spirit of it on the other side instead we've seen them embrace what they probably needed to which is making the game open and open and just more and more and realize that it's not a franchise that makes sense to stick to one console considering that it already existed yeah yeah Um, another one on discord though um that kind of mirrors it and I'm not sure what this last thing is. That's why I'm going to bring it up. He Liam says, I'm interested in a VR for sure. I just don't have the drive to drop that money into it. There's not much software I want for it. Tokyo Chronicle or Kronos is a definite though. What is that? Do you know what that is? I don't is? know. I haven't seen that one. Okay. But there's a lot of VR titles and I have a hard time keeping up with it as well. Because one of the things I can actually say uh and you know what? I'm going to go ahead and go into one more on Discord before we move over to our Twitter and for our Facebook. Uh, Mr. Bobo May, Josh, our good buddy, says... I have owned a PSVR in the past, but at the time, there was not much available to play, so it collected dust, and in my worst judgment, I ended up getting rid of it. Best for now, a few years, and I have the Oculus Quest, and it is leaps and bounds a different experience than what I had just a few years prior, and enough to make me excited for the future of VR technology. That being said, there's no doubt that with the PlayStation VR, the next generation needs to have some major changes. I'm going to start with an OLED screen like the Oculus Quest has. Uh, Just so you know, Joss, the original PSVR does indeed have an OLED screen, too them uh, just in case you were unaware of that there was a lot of I w- there was a lot of things i was surprised that people that they did not know about the vr and it goes to show that sony is not doing enough to properly market some of these things yeah um I just, you know, they're, they're 1080p OLED screens, so they are not, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure they're 1080p, but they are indeed OLED screens. Uh, but anyway, colors on that screen are perfect. I don't know that I could ever go back to anything else. Well, it, it may have just been that the Quest has a higher resolution OLED screen. Uh, I can't tell you because I don't know as much about the Quest. Secondly, though, he says, I'm going to go with, I think that it needs to be as wireless outside of charging the headset, uh, outside of hard to wire. Ugh, I'm getting mixed up here. I'm going to go with that. I think it needs to be as wireless outside of charging the headset. So a wire only used when charging the headset. I would prefer a dock if they're going to go wireless. Um, it does not need to be something that's hard to plug in. It needs to be something where I can take the headset off and set it down in a dock. That would be ideal. Not necessary, but I would love that if that's how they're going to do it. He says, finally, I'm going to say that the headset needs to have cameras on it so that we no longer need to use move controllers for the games that need move controllers. Games that require DualShock are fine, but when they re-re-re-release Skyrim on the PlayStation 5, I want to be able to play with no controllers needed. This is actually something I am in very stark opposition to in terms of across the board. I think that there are clearly games that work where you are using your hand in the game to do something and being able to use your hand for it works. I think that there are clearly games that having something in your hand to mimic what you are using helps a lot. Uh, and what I mean by that is having some kind of a weight and some kind of a thing that you can feel that moves with a pivot uh, is very important for things like a shooter game. The PSVR aim controller, which Solve I'll let you use yet? I can't remember. No. Okay. One of the really important things about it uh, that really helps with what's going on is that when you're playing a game where you have a gun in your hand and you're not using a controller, if that game did not support 
actual the the aim and just supported only move controllers, it would be a terrible experience to try and play because you don't you you don't move your hands in one thing because there's not a solid in between them. You don't feel like you're pulling a trigger because there's not actual triggers. You don't feel like you know, there's, a, there's a ton of things that come into that where it's almost necessary. And then a game like Skyrim, again, I've played with motion controllers and it's a almost necessary i would say that what comes down to is that the motion controllers need to have analog sticks put on them so that they can be used as more competent controllers while also filling in as something to represent what you're holding in the game uh, the thing about skyrim is that while there is of course magic builds that would be really cool to let you play without having any kind of controller because you wouldn't need a controller and if you wanted to add that functionality that is fine but on the sword and shield and bow and all those things, having something in your hand to physically represent is very important. And also the fact that those vibrate to sell the experience that much more. So when you hit yeah. something with a sword, you feel the feedback that you need. It made you, my hands hurt after a, after a game of Skyrim. Exactly. You feel when somebody hits your shield and the you reverberation. Up, you feel that whenever you're pulling a bowstring, you feel a small, slow vibration that gives you a feeling that, okay, I am doing something and this is the feedback, the force feedback that I need to give me an idea that I am ex I'm doing exactly what I'm trying to do and it helps sell your mind on it a little bit better. Yeah. So, Also, um, I want to name a quick one off of uh, our Twitter real quick and it was Exploding Platypus and his 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 true honesty just killed me. He just says, not interested at all. <laughs> and that's fine and the, the truth of it is is that VR as a tech uh, is clearly going to be that for a lot of people for a long time, and maybe even forever. A screen. I know. Hashtag Brittany's new laptop. Hashtag kids in my alley shooting squirrels on my property. Hashtag it's been Arkansas. a rough day. Been a rough day. Um. Anyway, uh, going back to Josh's, uh, I do agree, and this is actually something that also ties in with one of our ones on Facebook that I'm going to go through. So it's uh, Ken Nace. He says, I have one and like it, but I barely play it. In order for me to get one next gen, it needs to be wireless. And actually, I agree. I am someone who exists on that exact same thing. Uh, I, I love it. I actually think it's fantastic tech, and I've had a blast of a time with a number of games. But first of all, I have the launch unit, and the launch unit was not, for some reason, even though the PS4 Pro was coming two months later, they did not see the need or value in putting an, HD, uh, an HDR pass-through on the HDMI. So for me to get HDR functionality for my TV, uh, since I have the Pro, I have to route around the breakout box, and that means when I want to play VR, I have to go through and switch a bunch of HDMIs around in order to get it to work. And that's a hassle. It's the first thing I don't really feel like dealing with. Then you have to get the cord out. You have to get it over. You have to put it on. You have to find a spot where it's not going to bother you and be in your way. You have to plug headphones into it. There's all sorts of stuff. Again, launch model. The second model comes with headphones built in. So it's at least one step removed. Um, but it does come to a point where wireless is a clear, big way to get more people on board. And I think it's a big, important way to do something. I just, I'm curious to see as to where they're going to do it. VR tech is in a weird place. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about buying an Oculus Quest at one point. Right. Uh, and I'm assuming uh, that I understand them, but just in case I'm wrong, and for anybody who doesn't know, what was the driving factor for you to buy that despite the fact that it cost more than PSVR? I think I know what they clearly are, but let's let's find out. Yeah, it's so it's a little bit higher quality than PlayStation VR. The games on it are more open, which meaning like I could do stuff like VR chat, which PSVR does not have. I could do stuff like Beat Saber custom songs, which PSVR does not have. Can you do those on the Quest natively? On the Quest natively? Yeah, because the, re the reason I mean? ask is that the, the Quest is is a standalone wireless unit that you don't have to have plugged into anything, but I know that because of that, not every game is supported. I didn't think modable games were supported just yet. 
I don't think it's moddable. I think it's just files, which I don't know about that, but I do think it's just files. It's not moddable. Now, something that comes into this into play anyway. Well, it's something you can actually that, do openly in the game. Yeah, uh, well, and, and Jeff Roberts over here mentions it as well. We were talking about the quest because he has one, uh, and he said it's far superior, um, or maybe he didn't have one, but he's at least played one one to get this feeling. But uh, Oh, the controllers too, by the way. Oculus, yes, he mentioned the controllers are very... Uh, you know, very much improved. But the one thing that the quest does have coming, um, and I wish it would have launched with it and it wasn't a separate peripheral that you had to pay money for, but it is called a link cable, something like that, that you can connect to it and then to a computer and your computer recognizes it, uh, recognizes it as, as an a, Oculus Rift. Yes. And so, that's something really dope too. But so go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean no, that. That's mainly it's, just, it. it's, it's, it is higher quality. It's, it, it's not to argue or anything, but it came out, you know, three years <laughs> after the VR did. Yes. Uh, yeah, the controllers are superior to it. There's not much better controllers you can find than Oculus controllers for VR. Um, the games are much more open and you have much more variety that you can play without being limited to, to Sony saying what you can and can't play. Whereas in Steam, you could pretty much open it up. And any there's so many Steam VR games, Subnautica being one that I don't think is out on PSVR yet. No, it's not. And uh, one of the reasons being is the difference in how they choose to go about it. I think a lot of games have to rework their tracking technology to yeah. work with the moved light tracking instead of multi-camera tracking. Well, so, that's yeah. what I was going to say, too, is that software on this is much more native than it is compared to VR due to the fact that it's 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 primarily made for computer. A lot of or these games. Like technically, I, I, I guess it's probably made, it primarily made the quest specifically that launched as a standalone. You don't yeah. need anything. Yeah. Um, so, but, it, you know. it's just one of those things like where it's there's a little bit more freedom. Yeah, there's a higher price, but you get higher quality visuals. You get a high quality headset. You get a high quality, or higher quality controller, I should say. Because I'm not going to say anything that is low quality on the PSVR. It's just outdated, and they it haven't is, yeah. made any effort to show us that they're going to do anything new with it. And that's uh, the big reason there is that I don't know what they're going to do with it. With why, would I, why would I buy a Quest now and then VR comes out next May with something brand new? I'm not going to own two VR systems. It's pointless. And to sell a VR system is to, not worth a hassle. Yes, it is harder. Uh, now, just to answer one of your questions, and I get that you're not as into it, so it's less for you to pay attention to it. No, but we talked about it on the show a little bit. Sony have tried to be somewhat clear with what their plans are, and I had to go through that and uh, and uh, tell uh, Derek Porter, one of our patrons, uh, he, he said something that, again, surprised me. This is on the other side of Sony not doing a good job at um, marketing the feature set of this, uh, Derek said, <clears throat> excuse me, I've always been interested, but the PS4 pro requirement was what prevented me from picking one up. Seeing that the next generation is compatible with have premium have upgrade is awesome. I may not pick one up immediately, but it is definitely on my list. Wish list for next gen. Uh, and that was the first thing I cleared up is PS4 pro is not a requirement for it. Did um, it launch before the PS4 pro? Yes. Came out two months ahead of the PS, uh, or two weeks. Sorry. I want to say before the pro. And, um, the thing about it was, <clears throat> The PS4 Pro looks and plays a lot better because of the fact yeah. that you have it can push more resolution. It's, and I, I, I doubt screen the glass door effect, the screen door effect, which is much get, more prominent on the PSVR than the Quest, which is another big reason there. Yeah, yeah, and it all comes down to resolution that it can push the games at. Yes. Now, there's a lot of things that play into that, and the, that goes back down into the conversation with the Quest. As much as I like a lot of what it's talking about, at launch, I didn't see it as as much of a value as the PSVR for one simple reason, is that the v, PSVR running everything through a actual console, or in the case of like a normal Rift going through a computer, means that you have no size limits on the games you can play. So you can play larger scoped games, 
as long as they're made for it, then you can't on the quest because you have memory limitations on the quest. Yeah. Now, one of the things that is a benefit of being hooked into a console or PC, or PC is that if the game is 150 gigs, it doesn't matter because you're not having to put that on a memory card that is inside or a flash memory, whatever it is, that's inside of the quest. So if the quest would have launched with the link cable ability, I think it would have been an undeniably better value, but now it's there. It sucks that you're probably going to have to pay some kind of 40 to $80 for this link cable. Oh, I was going to guess more than that. Probably 99 Probably too. But you know, if you're lucky, they'll go low with it and it would be fantastic to see that. This um, is the first ever one kind of cable deal, right? I just not realized it turned an external peripheral that had nothing to do really with your PC into something that is directly involved with it. Yep, and that and that makes it a hybrid, which is really good. It, it's yeah. existing in the territory where Switch is. You can take it with you and play these smaller games with you, even in a hotel room if yeah. you have to go away and just wanted to. Hey, uh, it's kind of iffy with that because the setup <clears throat> is kind of weird. The setup for it is very similar to most VRs where there has to there has to be a camera or a sensor to scope the the safe distance around you. Well, the the, the Quest, if I'm not mistaken, has cameras on it. It does. In the well, front. I'm just so it like uses its own cameras. It. So yes. I was just saying it as a general thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, it has to say that can say, uh, and I think it was like eight foot by four foot or something. Um, of where they prefer you to be to be in a safe area. space, yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, if you're in a big enough hotel room, if you're a baller shot caller, um, you know, 20-inch rims. 20-inch blades, actually, but you know. It's like, what? Blades is just another word for rims. I've never heard somebody call rims blades. That's That's in that song. 20 inch blades on an Impala. So I'm at the rims. <laughs> you got you to gotta have more culture. 4,000 square feet. How are you friends with someone with a podcast called People of Culture and you got none? Listen. <laughs> anyway, um, did you want to say something? I, I didn't want to block you out if you were. It doesn't tell me. It just has 4,000 square feet, but that's compared to the size of your house because you definitely don't need... That's that's like four thousand square feet. That's double this house. Yeah, and this it's is a big like, house. It's saying like if your house is four thousand square feet, it's probably your maximum safe area that you can create and tell the game what's in it, so that you can actually build props and stuff around it, which cool. is something that people have done and is really cool actually. Uh, but anyway, not to put too much time more on uh, in on this, I just thought it was really interesting uh, that there is a very different setup, and a lot of it comes down to people talking about uh, wanting the technology of the PSVR to be better. And this is uh, one of those weird situations where I agree and I understand, but I also understand on Sony's side as to why they can't, because part of the reason that you can make a system like PSVR be so budget friendly and be able to sell it with five games on Black Friday from one ninety nine is that you are stretching the maximum dollar potential out of one set of, uh, and it's what consoles have always done. It is the business that Sony's always known on the console side, which is create a, a base of what you're going to do, and then you can create iterations of it that have small improvements, but basically the tech has to be the same so that you have a overall compatibility. Yeah. Uh, and and that does come down to while there's been one iteration of the PSVR, all it really did was make the headset slightly lighter and added headphones onto the unit itself uh, that you could just flap down in your ears, which is great. It, 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 and you can still not use those if you choose to use a better headset. It's up to you. Uh, but it And then it adds the HDR pass-through into the breakout box. But that's not enough for me to want to sell the one I have just to get a new one. Yeah. Um, but with that said, that is a huge benefit on their side of being able to get the headset in someone's hands for $200 versus the Quest being $400 uh, for the minimum size. And that's a 64 gig, which is to not give you much room for games. So it's a balancing act that you're constantly going to have to play. And I think that Sony will come out with something that's going to be a little bit more. The, the PSVR tech was already behind, but it was Sony 
doing a budget version of something and taking a risk now that they know that there is interest in the market it's not as fledgling as a market that it once was there's been a lot of improvements in the technology i have a feeling that we're going to see them take a lot of these things and make a, a headset that is more ahead of the curve this time around than what the psvr was at the time but even then the psvr is a good headset for what it costs um and it's interesting because of that <coughs> And also what I was telling Saw is Sony has made it clear that they do not intend to release any more VR stuff outside of maybe a small iteration. Um, there's no plans for a next gen VR until at least a couple of years into the PS5. And I think that they're following. It's smart. Why dilute the waters of the PS5 with something else to steal the thunder? And one more thing that people feel like they might have to buy. You can separate them, have more marketing power, and also have more time for more tech to come and become more affordable so that you have a better headset. Yeah. You know. I'm also going to put this out there for cancel culture's sake. Jeff Keighley, I'm going to cancel your fucking... Oh, ooh. ooh. This is not... This is children friendly. I'm going to cancel bird. your fucking uh, uh, game awards. Yeah. Uh, if you keep putting this... this this show on a Thursday night. That makes me so mad. I was like, we could stream it. No, we can't. Cause it's like what? Three and a half hours long. It's very late here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We can, it's just going to be, I will not do that. The yeah, day before I Friday. You. I don't blame you. But anyway, thank you all for your opinions on the community stake. I was actually a little surprised at how much, for VR is obviously a very small market, but I was really surprised at the amount of responses we had and how varied they were. Uh, and it goes to show a lot that uh, VR clearly has people who are interested in it. But there are for everybody. There's different things that are going to keep them from wanting to come into the uh, the fold with it. So, <laughs> as is weekly tradition, Saul gets up and leaves the podcast. I said don't say it. <laughs> what? Okay. I all the YouTube people who are just watching don't see you get up and leave. Okay, Saul, you're, you're crop dusting. Please leave. There we go. Uh, <laughs> moving on into the news without Saul, we'll go into the first thing. Uh, and the first thing that we're going to talk about is Codemasters uh, continues to snag up studios that are tied into racing games, which has undoubtedly become their niche this gen. I don't, I don't even think I've seen a Codemasters game that was not a racing game, um, besides maybe uh, their Overlord uh, top-down Diablo-style-like game that they did. Not, maybe not Diablo-style, but still similar to that camera angle. Um, so, yeah, they've really found their niche with that. They've had a couple of failures with things like them buying out the old uh, studio that did um, Evolution Studios from Sony that did Drive Club and, of course, MotorStorm. And having them do Onrush, Onrush was not what they were hoping for. It's unfortunate. But what they've done now is they have purchased the Project Cars developer Slightly Mad Studios. Uh, so interesting to see. Hopefully that gives a little bit more money and ability uh, for Slightly Mad Studios to do more with the Project Cars series. It's had some issues of people saying that it just doesn't run as well as it should while having a lot of great ideas. So we may get a great competitor uh, in the car racing uh, game area or an even better competitor i should say with the purchase of this uh if you thought no man's sky beyond was the last we'd see of no man's sky for a little while they are already back with the game uh with where the game will be heading next with a reveal of synthesis the next update for the long-running game this update aims to add some new features into the game but mainly to make refinements to the game that we already have so psvr players which is of course something recent that beyond added will get the ability to take vr photo mode pictures and the ability to ride atop of alien wildlife which are both things that were already available in the game but they were not uh, compatible or whatever didn't support VR yet. Uh, now we see that. Other quality of life additions that are the, more the bulk of this update 
are things like the ability for you to refine materials wherever you are, as opposed to having to use a machine to do so that you had to set down and put stuff into the ability to carry more than one multi-tool so that you can have multi-tools that are better for different things and just flip between them. You can now trade your ships in for either materials or to upgrade them and plenty of other things. The update is available now. So if you're taking a break from the game, might be a good time to jump back in. Go check it out. I don't know if I'll have time to with me trying to uh, finish up some of these other games, but I do intend to go back to it. Beyond was quite the update, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, the game that stormed the internet, untitled Goose Game, might be headed to PS4 sooner than expected as the trophy list has leaked online. Uh, this could be hinting toward a Game Award reveal later this month. They have already said that they were going to bring it over to PlayStation 4, the developers did, before they moved on to their next project, which has th this game has done very well for them. Um, but it made it seem like it was going to be probably early 2020. Uh, with the trophy list already being out and about, it really is likely that we may even get it before the year is up if not very early January, which is great. Uh, the game sold very well and was an interesting little phenomenon that went through. I'm sure we'll see it kick back up in the uh, in social media a lot while it's uh, with its PS4 release. And I don't know if Xbox is coming. So if you uh, are on the Xbox side or wanted to play that on Xbox for your kids or something like that, um, you just have to look and see. I didn't see too much that hinted at it. Uh, next thing up, the PS Plus games for December, like Saul said, are Titanfall 2, which is from Respawn, who just recently put out Star Wars uh, Jedi Fallen Order. And then the weirdest game I think I've ever seen on this, but I at least give them credit for trying to do something that's way different than the previous, than the other game, is Monster Energy Supercross, which, for being honest, I mean, if you don't know what that is from the name, it's just motocross, so dirt bikes, racing. I mean, not going to say it's not fun, but it is a pretty weak month and even a full-on year-end because December is the cap. This is the weakest month and year-end altogether that I've seen from the service pretty much ever. Um, Titanfall 2 is a fantastic game, and I'm not saying to sleep on it. It's actually a great game that was put out in a very odd time, so don't sleep on it. But at the same time, if you wanted to demand a little bit more value, I understand where you're coming from, and I agree Uh pretty much wholeheartedly. I, I mean, I'm great to see this back uh, and I wanted to play the game again uh, in, in recent times and after playing Jedi uh, Fallen Order, I have that scratch a little bit more. But so that's something I can do in the early months, but yeah, it's unfortunate otherwise. Let's see what else we have over here. I'm trying to let Saul chime in on some of the bigger ones, but hey, if he's taking too long, he is taking too long. The... With the first installment releasing just a few months from now, Tetsuya Nomura, who is the director of Final Fantasy VII Remake, has confirmed that Final Fantasy VII Remake's second part of who knows how many, since they haven't told us just yet, is now actively in development at Square Enix. This information came as part of a recent article that he did that was explaining some of the things across uh, production of the first game. Uh, it's good to see. One of the things that people have constantly talked about is how long do we have to wait between games? And the unfortunate side of this is that there's still no clear answer to that. I'm sure it's not going to be soon, but if they can even get a year under their belt, they'll be doing really well. Uh, with Final Fantasy 13 Trilogy, just as a frame of reference, they got Final Fantasy... Each game came 18 months apart from each other, uh, roughly. So... It's really good. That's a essentially that's a year and a half apart, uh, and those are pretty big scoped games. So, uh, if we can get that same thing, I'm sure there's going to be some people who are disappointed. But it's a pretty quick turnaround, and if we can get even less with maybe a uh, uh, with if they're having to re if if they end up reusing some of the assets due to the way the game is structured, uh, then we may even see a one year gap. We'll just have to wait and see. 
Uh, but I'm glad to see it. And here comes Saul, so he can at least give his opinion on this one because I think it's interesting. Uh, Saul, did you see that Final Fantasy VII Remake second part is in active development? Which means we won't get it for three years. Who knows? That's what I was saying. The turnaround time is going to be real interesting on that game. I know that there's a lot of people, and I mentioned a lot of people, which is really me hinting at you, but I know some other people who want a very short turnaround time. But what's a, what's a reasonable turnaround time for you? I really may not play this game until it's all out. I don't think that's a terrible idea, actually. I really don't want to start. like It's the same reason I don't like episodic games, and that's all essentially this is, is, is a 120-hour potential episodic game, and I don't want that. A lot of it depends on what they've done to the story to make it feel like it. If it feels capped off at the end when I'm done playing it, then I'll be okay. I will be a little disappointed if when I'm going to play it, it gets to the point where you feel like, oh, this is just a stop that they that they put in just for the sake of stopping so they can make another game. If they find a way to have it be a stop that feels natural and they write it in a way that feels true to what the game was trying to do in the original, but also lets it feel like a little bow on top. That's like, this is a good spot to where if I needed to take a year break while they make or a year, 18 months, which was the frame of reference for uh, final fantasy 13 trilogy. Every game was 18 months apart, which is a very short turnaround time for how big these games are. But, um, you know, if, if you have a, a year, if, if hopefully if they can do it that way, since they're not trying to develop for PS3 and stuff, if you can do it even a year apart, as long as they do it right at the end, I think it could work for me. It's something just about like, I'm trying to think of a good analogy to this. I guess it would be like going back in a time or not even go back in a time, but, but deciding I want to buy. Man, there's, see, there's not like really a big series like this that has games that are going to be potentially this long in a series. I mean, 13 is actually your best show see, but of... I, I've never played those before. Like, I'm trying to find a you game You played 13 series. 1, but you never played 2 or 3, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'm trying to find a reference of a series. So, mm-hmm. like, I that guess maybe going with? back and playing through Dragon Quest 7, 8, well, stuff like that, just for fun. It's just like, I, you know, I. it's going to be cool to see the fresh coat of paint and stuff, for sure. But, man... I don't have a I don't have that many hours to dish out to play something I've already played before that's going to end without a resolution that I know what it is. Like I don't know if I want to commit that much time to it with Cyberpunk also right around the corner of yeah, that. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to be devoting the time to Cyberpunk more so. Yeah, for sure. I can understand that. Now again, and I think that this rides on a line of how, which way you want the game or which way you're willing to accept the game going and still being okay with it. Um It'd be one thing. I'd be right there with you if they did not. If this was just a new coat, a coat of paint and new mechanics, but they did not rewrite a single piece of this. Yeah, I would be upset. Clearly, where we're at right now, we just don't know how much they rewrote. But there is a way for them to rewrite this in such a way that feels in spirit of the original while still changing it enough to surprise you. Is there is there a limit to that to where they rewrite it too much to where it can surprise you that you don't like it because it takes away from the fact that it's supposed to be a remake? Or are you okay with them embracing change while still using this as almost like a remake reboot? Yeah, and that makes sense. And and that's that's there's a fine line there that if they cross it, it could become off-putting. And for me specifically what I actually thought about in my mind was that after I read this part of news earlier last week was that I may not buy Final Fantasy 7 until a release date for the part 2 is confirmed. And it that way on, you at least understand the weight? Yeah, it depends on how long the release date is. And I even thought about maybe not even buying the game until a month prior to the release date. <laughs> Just so you can kind of hit it, have like a week or two break, and then hit it again? But that's if, like the delays. I'm yeah. still skeptical there will be a delay on it. Like, And that's just something that for me, 
I already know this story, and I, I, I've, I've experienced every... Potentially. I mean, again, we don't know how much has changed, but... I mean, I doubt they're changing anything with it being called Remake. Like, I really think that they're going to be including stuff from the Expanded 7 universe, which I know pretty much everything there is to know. Like, it, it's just one of those things that's like, is it worth the fresh coat of paint and all the new writing and all the voice acting and then the changing of everything? Is it worth it for me that for somebody who already knows the series yes but the time sink is what puts me off fair enough any other series like if they did this you know it would have been 40 hours like resident evil 2 example perfect example the game was like 15 to 30 ish hours depending on where you want like where like if you remember everything the puzzles because some of that stuff like it really threw me off but the thing is... So if you've played the original recently, you're going to have an easier time just kind of going through. Yeah, and RPGs, that's a hard, 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 hard to, to say for. Um, but it's one of those things that that's just... I knew going into Resident Evil 2, I would spend 40 hours max into this. The fresh coat of paint was... Fi- I, I, got, I, I, still I still need to go back and finish it. I'm not far. But the thing is, is that it wasn't even the time sink that put me off. It was everything popping out at the same time around it. Devil May Cry 5 being the big thing. And a new game and not a re-experiencing yes. the experience what they played did before. With, yeah, I wanted to see what they did with that game. And see, that's just the thing, is that the fresh coat of paint, is that going to wear off? Is that feeling going to wear off by the time the credits roll? And is it enough to sink me in to care enough to try the second game out? This is a potential... $240 investment that I'm going to be making, is it worth putting in $60 to see if I'm going to make the rest? 240 You think this is going to be a four-game deal? But if, hey, if they keep want to go off disc, the fact that you don't even... You get to Midgard 40 hours into this is like, what are they doing? It, like, I, it makes sense because I guess they're te- technically making you know every disc the max amount of time they can put into it, but still, like, that's... So, even if not... Um, 190 to be, or I say 180 technically. No, yeah, but 180, taxes and stuff, yeah. yeah. Uh, a 200 and like $15 after tax investment uh, and time, you know, is it going to be worth it? I really just wish they were just remaking seven with a fresh coat of paint that didn't include what all they're trying to include in it. And that's, it would have been the way to go. As someone who is not as rose tinted glasses as everyone else is around final fantasy seven. I actually really enjoy that they're doing this because I think seven's kind of bare bones in a lot it's, of ways. It's, not really... it's an interesting game. It's like a, it's like a, it's a time piece. I think the game makes a lot of sense to why people loved it a lot when it came out, but I think doing a clear remake of it and charging that much for a game that you can still play without the fresh coat of paint for essentially $12 on any given day yeah, is well, hard to swallow for a lot of people. So doing not only a fresh coat of paint by a long way, but also a mechanics change by very heavy with at least a way to play it that's similar to the original. So it's a smart move on their part, I think. And then also changing the story and expanding the story, really, I think is what it comes down to. And I think that there's parts of 7 that I can clearly remember. I don't want to go too much into stuff, but they leave a lot to the imagination because they couldn't even show it off on the PS1. Even with pre-rendered videos, it was very hard and it was very expensive. So they just chose to go, we're going to leave this to the imagination of the player. That goes all the way down to what Cloud looks like. You 
you do not have a clear example of well, what cloud looks like because he's just a little polygon shape. And, and what I'm comparing you know? it to, though, is 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 something like w- getting this game remade from the ground up, Resident Evil 2 style. There's not a lot extra in Resident Evil 2. Yeah, it, it was a mechanical change. Yeah. Well, it was almost like a camera change, but it did yeah. end up in a mechanical-like change. There wasn't But it much. wasn't them trying to add a bunch. It, it was, was really just, hey, this is still the exact, exact same, same game. same game at the core where this is kind of like we don't know. The only things we change are, th- are things that have to be changed due to the mechanics. The slight mechanic change, but yeah. yeah, and I haven't even played it yet. But it's clear that it was that from the way it was. Oh, you were really enjoy and it's that a game. very different game, especially if you liked four. Yeah, but you know, I think that it comes down to one of those things of they're both very old games, and I understand that. But I think that uh, even Resident Evil Two looked and played in some ways a lot better than Final Fantasy Seven did when you, not outside of combat, just general running around. The game felt very loose when you're running around the little overworld maps. It's kind of hard to navigate because of that. It doesn't look too great. I think that there's a lot of parts in the story that are were cool for the time when you didn't have higher expectations of storytelling. That if they did it again now. You w- it wouldn't work. Another game that didn't choose to use remake in its name, but still was a remake with a reboot-like a- aspect to it, was uh, the Ratchet & Clank PS4 version. There's actually a lot of stuff they changed and added that was not in the original game, while it still took the original game and used it as a frame of reference for the things they wanted to do. Yeah. And... I think it made a much better game because of it. It made a game with more replayability, a little bit longer setup to it for it to go. And uh, I just, I thought that was a smart idea because honestly, as much as I like the original, I don't know that I'd really want to just play the original again. Having the slight changes was kind of cool. It was like, okay, I see what you're trying to do. You're also bringing it to people who have never played it. So why not change it? It is, you're but not, the time why, why change it when there's so many people who are going to play this? And this is specifically in regards to Ratchet and Clank, but also it does pertain to Final Fantasy VII. Why not change things when you have a lot of people who are who have never played the original, so do not have these expectations and ties into what the original was to exact. I think that you can meet in the middle, change things for new people where it's not going to matter for them anyway, and you just give them a better new a better experience they've never experienced anyway. And then for other people who've played it in the past, you use the original as a framework and a guideline to make it just similar enough to where if you can strike the balance, you're giving them new information while also giving them a sense of nostalgia on top of giving the new players who have never played it a, an experience that probably lets them play the game and experience it in a way that feels like at this particular moment, the way that people probably felt when they originally played seven back in 97. Well, my thing is too, is that like Ratchet and Clank, both the original and then the remake maintained a similar time frame to beat where this is completely yeah. astronomically different in the, in two opposite directions. No, yeah, you, that is a very good point. So it, it's just, that's, that's it right there. That's the main reason is the time scene. Okay. Well, we spent a lot of time on that, but it was an interesting conversation nonetheless. I, th- yeah. I that's a game that I constantly don't know. I, I don't know what to say about it or do about it because it's just I'm in that area where I'm trying to play it. I'm, I'm trying not to discredit it when I have no reason to discredit it yet. Yeah. So- and I, I, in terms of concretely, there's things that we see and hear and that we are trying to surmise based off of small information, but it's just really hard. I won't know how to clearly talk about this game until I'm at least halfway through it. Yeah, and then I'll kind of understand. This is what they chose to stretch out that maybe didn't need to be. Maybe this is what they chose to stretch out that really needed to be. Or even if it didn't, it's it's better, all the better for it. You know what I mean? And it's so hard to say. I mean, I'm really hoping that my tone in this game doesn't just shift to being disappointed in it. I really hope that that's not the case, but it could be. You know I mean, there, games have been changing my opinion by playing them a lot. I was kind of down on Death Stranding just for it to completely change my opinion by the time I got to the end of it. You know what yeah. I mean? 
So it's it's weird. Uh, a couple more news things that oh, we're going to go through here real quick is after the success of the first game, everyone expects a sequel to Insomniac Spider-Man, of course. Uh, and according to Imran Khan, which is somebody who's over at Kind of Funny, it will be coming, quote, sooner than we think with mentions of a Christmas 2021 release window. This is off the heels of Sony purchasing Insomniac and adding them into the Worldwide Studios fold. Insomniac do have multiple studios internally, so they could be working on even more. They could have already been working on Spider-Man uh, 2 before Spider-Man 1 rap production. These are all things that we do not know. They could be working on another Ratchet & Clank that could be for PS4 or for a launch title for PS5. All things we don't know. But I guess Christmas 2021 is not sooner than I would have thought. When you have a game that's that successful... You want to try and turn it around as quickly as possible. Now, clearly, you're not going to put that game back on PS4 only, so you want to have it time for them to make a workable, great game that utilizes PS5, but I don't expect it to be long. If PS5 comes out in Christmas of 2020, having Spider-Man ready sometime in 2021, regardless of when it is, is not mind-blowing to me. That's a yeah. two, that's a two to three year turnaround. That's not uncommon. Infamous one took a long time to make. Once it was made, Infamous two iterated on that game in a ton of huge ways and made a much better game. In two years, mm-hmm. I agree. So we need yeah, those time I, frames back. Yeah, I'm not surprised by this at all. Uh, but you know, we'll see. Either way, I, I wouldn't even be I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if it's considered if it does the same thing that Infamous Second Son did, where it's a few months out. Infamous Second Son released in like March or April after the PlayStation came out, so like six, five, three, four, five months somewhere around there. I wouldn't be surprised if we see the same thing for Spider Man. Yeah, but they may wait a little bit longer just to get more consoles in hands because the game will sell incredibly well if you do. So that one's one of those interesting setups. Uh, the last thing I think we have to talk about are two quick things. Blue Point Games have taken to Twitter yet again to tease their project, our projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a simple tweet reading, to classics we play our blood, sweat, tears, give thanks to family and friends, eager you stay. Cheers rekindle flames. Thanks. Today feast, tomorrow rest. Soon the beast freed from jest. Temptation we we shun, then on to the next. We reset to further adorn the genesis and era reborn, end quote. Uh, This was posted alongside a gif of a dog that is under a glass table, and they're throwing food on top of the glass table, and he thinks it's going through. So obviously they're being cheeky uh, about the fact that they're throwing out these little leaks uh, or little tidbits of information and teases and not getting anywhere with it. But one line that stands out to me that I think means that we're going to be getting to see this game really soon, maybe even at the Game Awards, uh, is soon the beast freed from jest. Yeah. Everything that they've done about teasing their games has been jest. So if you're going to soon free that beast, hmm. Also, I don't recognize anything else from that except another Dark Souls reference, which could be Demon Souls. Yeah, the, the rekindled, flames yeah. rekindled. And beasts. I mean, you can generally use beasts for the Soul series. That would be Bloodborne, which could be Bloodborne too. But that's not something they would be nowhere near. Yeah, I really doubt it. You know what's great about them is that they really could be doing. They could even be doing two games at once. They could stand by doing a game like uh, you know. There's there's things where they were mentioning and people were saying it'd be great to see them do a Legend of Dragoon reboot. Um, The thing about it is, a lot of people go. There's no telling of how well that game would do. Blue Point Games is in Texas. Texas has a very competitive economy. It's very cheap to live here. It's very cheap to make games here because of that. That's because a very broad statement. It, it's still in comparison to a lot of places. You'd be surprised. People come from California and droves because it's very easy to live here. That is true. On a on a 32nd of what you'd spend living in California. Uh, that's one of the reasons the Austin is where blue point games is, if I'm not mistaken. And Austin is the same city that, uh, the developer gunfire games who did dark siders three are and where Rooster Teeth resides. Exactly. 
So even then, comparatively to a lot of places in the city or in the, in the country, you can actually take more risk on a game there. Uh, Shadow of the Colossus didn't just sell the remake that they did. Did not just sell ridiculous numbers. It sold multiple millions, but it's one of those things where if they can even really get a million copies of The Legend of Dragoon sold as a remake, they can really justify doing it just for fan points. They can at least break even, if not make a little bit more than that, and get fan points. And there's some value to doing that. Yeah. You know? So, interesting to see. Last thing in the news here, though, a tweet posted this week showed two PS5 dev kits out in the wild, which, of course, sprang the question of why haven't we seen anything on the Xbox dev kits uh, for the Xbox Scarlet. Tom Warren, who is a senior editor at The Verge, says it's mostly due to, quote, hardly anyone has them, end quote, while also mentioning that they are nowhere near final. He goes on to say that while rumors of PS5 being that that's why rumors of PS5 being more powerful have floated around as Microsoft are keeping their cards close to their chest in an attempt to surprise Sony this time. I find this whole statement interesting for a number of reasons. Dev kits often change. Uh, They get sent out so that people have something to work with before the system comes out so they can do this. Uh, And a good example of how they change being that the PS4 originally had four gigs of RAM before devs who were working on it said that they really would like to see eight gigs of RAM. So the final release of the system did indeed have eight gigs of RAM, but a lot of the games were being made for it like knack and uh, a bunch of the ports of the older uh, playstation 3 games that were coming over as well as things like kills on shadowfall were being made with a four gigabyte ram usage yeah you know what i mean and and four being the max so really the games weren't even using that much um so this is something we see change and they were always using gdr5 ram so going to more was a costly decision, but one that made sense for them and worked out in the long run. Definitely considering that the original Xbox launched with eight gigs as well, but of cheaper and less efficient memory GDR three. So this is one of those weird things where I don't completely, I I think I agree with it. Some extent, I think that's that Microsoft have been trying to keep their hands close to their chest. Uh, but the one thing that's interesting about this is that if Sony have had dev kits out and for months now, as we've seen, regardless of if they're 100% in spec with what the final product will be, it would seem to me that devs would have more time to get games up and running on the console, which could potentially give Sony an advantage in the early days of having more games ready to go at launch. That's true, and that's kind of the trend we see <coughs> now on why they seem to be on type to op is more the more exclusives they have versus Xbox and everybody else. Even if they do the thing that the 360 had, where uh, in early days, a lot of games were, not only did the PS3 get delayed a year, that's part of it, but a lot of games were very hard. And I think that the reason partially that Sony delayed the PS3 for a year was not only production problems, but probably a realization that some of these games that for, from third-party people that were having problems with the sale processor needed extra time to be able to get ready to go. And because of that, we saw games like Mass Effect end up as a uh, uh, as a, an exclusive for a long time before finally coming out to PS3 after 3 had come out, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we saw uh, Elder Scrolls Oblivion get a one-year period of exclusivity. And it comes down to some of the games were just due to the one-year wait. Some of them were due to how hard it was to make. Mass Effect could have launched on PlayStation day, same day and date, if I'm remembering the release date right, but they didn't because it was hard to make for the system. Yeah. So, you go between a little bit of a thing here and there. It's a, it's an interesting move. I do think it's smart of Xbox to try and play it safe, uh, but there is some advantage to getting your kits out to as many people as possible. But, of course, it does invite leaks of information. That's true. Yeah, so we'll see what ends up happening from that. But, of course, the main thing that we're going to talk about today and run through is, of course... PlayStation's 25th anniversary being Tuesday, the day that this goes live. Uh, December 3rd, the day the episode, eh, I've said that, (laughs) with the original PlayStation launching in December 
in, on December 3rd, 1994 in Japan and becoming the first home console little trivia piece for you to break the 100 million unit mark and, of course, changing the landscape of gaming forever. Uh, this does raise questions as to whether more PS5 news will be revealed throughout this week or if they will just spend this week looking back and giving retrospects on their time in the industry. Either way, I'm excited to see it. I like seeing stuff like this. Whether they use this as a time to boast and give more information on new stuff, that's great. If they want to reflect and show us videos of stuff throughout the years of how they were doing stuff, I'm perfectly fine with that. I think that's a great move. Uh, people really like nostalgia. And if you can give people nostalgic moments like this, then you can do a lot with them. Uh, I guess what we're choosing to do is to have a little bit more of a lighthearted final topic of the episode and kind of look and go, you know what? PlayStation's been in our lives potentially 25 years, depending on who you are, um, and are even shorter, depending on who you are, of course. Uh, but they've been part of our lives for a long time, and we thought it'd be fun to just look back and, and share some of our favorite memories that we've had that were possible thanks to Sony and the PlayStation, of course. Um, before we get into that, I just still want to put a lot of emphasis on just how interesting Sony entering, entering the market really made gaming and how much it changed the landscape. I, I don't know how many people think about this, but Nintendo's one decision changed so much and has led us to where we are today. Nintendo choosing to not partner with Sony and instead last minute switch over to Philips and not even tell Sony and then leaving leading Sony to want to go ahead and put their investment somewhere and make something more. Not only did Nintendo doing that create PlayStation, PlayStation heftily outsold them uh came on to really challenge nintendo and make them have to change the way they did things and it showed microsoft that new people could enter the the business of gaming and just one generation after the playstation one hit we saw microsoft jump into the fray that leads us exactly to where we are today sony killed sega just they just did <laughs> yeah i mean there's there's no way around it uh it's just what happened Sony forced Nintendo to adapt, and that adapt that adaptation may be why we have something like the Switch to this day. And then, of course, Xbox being a primary competitor for PlayStation has been nothing but good for the industry. Uh, if if PlayStation Three did not have a real competitor outside of the Wii, which is the only other competitor it would have had if the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty did not exist, we would not have had anything and any reason for them to course correct back and make what ended up being one of surprisingly the best generations of gaming around, at least in my opinion. So with that started off, so I've been talking too much. It's your time. What's, what's your, what's your favorite PlayStation memory? Uh, and hopefully it's not the same one that we talked about in the early show, but if you've been watching the show for a long time, you can go back and watch our PlayStation memories. Some of them. Oh, you're talking about, okay. Well, it is related to a game that was in my top 10 of all PlayStation games from back then. But, um, no, it is something different. It's something that I was really trying just today at work, kind of walking around. I was thinking, <coughs> you know, if we did a PlayStation episode of our favorite memory, I'm going to do the thing where it's going to be the first thing that pops in my mind. What is something that I did on a PlayStation console that immediately popped into my mind being the favorite? Two immediate thoughts popped up, but only but one popped up first. And that was playing Metal Gear Solid 3. Okay. And I, Snake I eater? can't. Or yes. which, which one did you get? Um, it was originally subsistence first, and then when I found out, actually, if I remember this correctly, I remember I bought subsistence, and then I rented Snake Eater because I heard of the differences, and then I bought Snake. I traded in subsistence after I'd already for beat Snake it Eater to beat Snake Eater or to buy Snake. I was Eater. making sure I had them. It's been so long since I played them. I was thinking Snake Eater is the one that had the improvements, right? Y yes. Well, quote, and subsistence quote, was the original, quote, yeah, release. Uh, yes. So. 
I was playing, I'm pretty sure it had to have been subsistence because it, it definitely was my first time playing the game. And I got to a boss fight. I can hear you, but I'm going to grab water. Okay. Yeah, I uh, went to a boss fight, and that is the end. And if you've never played the game before, he's kind of annoying to uh, to fight, especially in his normal state where he's kind of hiding and trying to snipe you. You're supposed to be uh, walking around and I think... I think you're supposed to be using the microphone to find him because doesn't he fall asleep? It's been so long since I've played. Yeah, it's been a while. I didn't think you had to have the microphone. I thought you had to. I thought I thought you had to listen for his snores. But once I really want that game to come back in a form that I could play. Um, it's now, on Vita, but with terrible controls. But um, that is true, actually. But not terrible, but just far from optimal. I remember racking my brain on how to beat him, and I was I remember trying to use the microphone. I'd get up, and I, I ended up running out of ammo or something, and. and I don't remember my train gun working. I couldn't remember what happened. And I remember I went to GameFAQs. And I was like, well, how do I beat this guy? Turns out there's a couple unique ways to beat him. Well, one, I already missed my shot, literally. Um, you could snipe him in, in a couple uh, areas before. Okay. Um, but what I did to beat him was you could turn your system clock two weeks in advance and he'll die of old age. <laughs> and that, I remember sitting there thinking, okay... This is another one of those missing no number two kind of things. This is like internet rumors. But I did it out of desperation, and it worked. And I was just like, wow, that was cool. Coincidentally, in the same game, there's a part in which you're in a jail cell, and you have to make yourself throw up. So you go into the character inventory menu, and you hold the analog stick one direction, and you spin your character around until it quits out of the inventory screen, and you throw up because you're dizzy. Yeah. So... I would go with that is what immediately popped up into my head uh, for my favorite memories. And it might be because I'm in a kind of a Kojima mood and mindset after beating Death Stranding that that popped up. But that is one of my favorites. I remember looking back thinking that was super cool. And that's something I couldn't imagine a, a, a game to do, even though I played Snakey or, um, uh, ooh, oh man, the GameCube version of one. Oh, Twin Snakes. Twin Snakes. Uh, prior beforehand, and that had the whole Psycho Mantis stuff in it with the read the memory card, the controller vibration. I actually didn't know if they kept it because I've never played Twin Snakes. I didn't know if they've kept it I've, I, in the GameCube version. Yes, that's absolutely. Awesome. I'm glad uh, to see that because that was one of the coolest features of the PS1 games. That was actually due when I was playing that game, and I was very young. I was not very good. It took me a long time. Freaked you out? Uh, it, it, yeah, it scared the hell out of me. Yeah. I was like, wait, what? It was because was... I was too young to understand that he was. I, you know, I didn't understand what was going on, so I actually had to talk to my dad. I was like, yeah, yo, dad, this dude is freaking me out and he he kind of my dad was the one who pieced it together he's like wait a minute <laughs> if uh if that if that if that boss fight was on if i played that on playstation which i never originally did i played it on gamecube i'm sure it looked a lot better on gamecube it did from what i remember at least um but that would be in my top moment there that boss fight i was so happy to see him come back in Metal Gear solid five but yeah uh what about yours that was mine my top moment before i move on to mine one of the things i want to just and without going into too much of of that i I guess I personally, I, there's a lot of great Kojima moments, and we were just talking about a couple of them. All these moments where you kind of break the third wall or the fourth wall and um, go through and do things that are very wild that you never expect a game to do because they go completely. They, they do. It's the opposite of what I say. Destiny as a game, their goal should be to keep you on the game at all times instead of taking you away from it. And I mentioned that with the grimoire cards of Destiny 1, that for you to read them, you could find them in the game, but for you to read them, you had to leave the game uh, and go to a website, which I thought was just 
heinous uh, and, and a really bad decision uh, is for you to not be in the game. Unst- whereas the flip side of that is when you're doing it in the name of trying to do something that's interesting, well, that game looked it a looks, lot better. Yeah, I'll say it looks a lot better than I remember it looking. Did, and it had free control camera? Um, No. I could, I've never seen it was, anybody it was play it. Solid, I know it exists. It was, it was Metal Gear Solid 1's original camera. Interesting. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, one of the things that I find interesting about that, though, with the with the whole thing about making you leave a game to do something, if you're doing it in a way uh, or doing something with the game that does something that exists outside of the game technically, uh, if you can do it in a way that's going to add to a feeling of interest and, and uh, whimsical wonder yeah. in the, the game and really leave a lasting impression with you, I think it's fine. Uh, and I feel like for a long time, Kojima did that, right? And... All the way up to five, I don't feel like I remember there being anything in Metal Gear Solid Five, and which I didn't play all the way through, but I don't remember hearing anything about it either of anything that just really subverted that expectation too much. You know what's crazy about Metal Gear Solid Five is that it's very comparable to Death Stranding in terms of the way it tells a story. It's very disjointed, and when you do get story, you get it in really long cutscenes. Yeah, that's, then, not, that's very Kojima-like, and to then, be fair. Yeah, and then you get it through voice recordings, which you kind of get through Kodak calls and stuff with Dead Man and stuff walking around at Death Stranding. Fair. It's very similar. I kind of... I'm not going to lie. Beating Death Stranding made me want to go back to play. There's a lot of things about, and I was going to Death Stranding next. Neither game feels like they go into that Kojima-like thing of, of, of subverting your expectations by breaking the fourth wall. He still breaks the fourth wall, but partially because he, he leaked it early instead of giving you the moment of getting to feel like, Oh, Hey, like, you know, uh, like whenever you're sitting in your bed for too long and Norman will be like, oh, he'll yeah. point at you and then like swing his hand. It over was the door. cool though. When another character broke it in the game, we can talk about that later on. Okay. Yeah. Towards I think I know what you're talking about. End. Yes. Um, but regardless, the interesting thing uh, about that is I don't feel like death stranding had anything that was exactly like that. And five, I didn't know for sure though. I do agree with you from what I've seen in five's gameplay and what I've played of, um, Five, which was actually very, very little, and when I played all of Ground Zeroes, this game is not that different from Five. No, it's I, just wrapped up in a package that I think is more palatable to me and a less and a less drab-looking world. Even though the the world still stays rather consistent and looks Five, at least in early times, had the same problem that Death Stranding had in early times of looking like it's all one place through the whole game. Five does do the change that Death Stranding does, though, like where the environmental changes do happen. It's just later on. Yeah, uh, but anyway, uh, going into that. Do you think Kojima is kind of? Do you think he's exhausted all of those ideas to where doing them now, even if he did them, just wouldn't feel as special, or what? Because I, I, no. I guess without again without spoiling, I think Death Stranding has moments that just really make you go, "What is this game?" Because it just does something that you didn't expect. Uh, one of the ones being uh, during uh, Higgs chapter, whenever you are on the beach and fighting him. I think everybody. I don't want to say much more than that. Well. That's not really surprising, but it just made me. Laugh. I was like, "What?" Yeah, like what the way it happened um, is very reminiscent of something else, and I'm gonna be very vague about that. Okay, well, we'll just have to talk about it after this. But I thought that was interesting that I didn't feel like there was anything. As much as I love Death Stranding, I didn't feel like there was anything immediately as interesting as the callback moments, or I should say, the conversation having moments that Metal Gear Solid One, Two, and Three all had to themselves. And maybe they're there and nobody's done them yet. Maybe we as a gaming culture just don't really have... Exact same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Did that not click with you almost instantly? Well, no, because I guess because of the camera change. Oh, it does that in this too. Well, I, I, we'll, well talk about we'll it more later. Very, yeah. But yeah, no, you, you're right. 
God, dude, I want to play that game so bad again. It needs to be, yeah. But anyways, Ugh, okay. Anyway, mean, we're gonna be very coy about what we're talking about. Yeah, I don't want to say too much. I just thought that was. You may one think of those you know what you're talking about, but you don't. I wonder if that's something we'll see in the coming months of people who are actually learning that there are things you can do to manipulate the system and get interesting endings. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I mean, we 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 like literally that could be in the game right now. We may never know until it launches on PC and then something, get, and then they go through the code. Also, the fourth wall breaking uh, without with my laptop hiding it was it the was it one character doing this in particular we'll talk about it uh, are you, unless you're talking about or were they laying down uh they yeah at one point they, they did it a couple times in a small window and one of the times they were laying down you're talking about when when right when he goes to walk out and he does the yeah yeah no that's not what i'm talking about okay but that was cool what too. i'm talking about was literally in higgs chapter okay it was it was right after the scene i just showed you okay yeah we'll talk about it more in a minute uh but anyway yeah that's that's great i have a couple and it's really hard to go down to i'm trying to do the same thing as you is because one of the things about memories is that they rotate around and like take up they they occupy a different amount of space in your brain not only that as but they, they rotate change. that's what i'm saying like you they look ro- back they on rotate them so differently yeah uh, like it would be interesting to do what our first episode was was our top ten PlayStation games because I wonder if maybe I think about I, I don't remember what exactly they all were because I did what I just did where they come to the cusp of my mind and I'm like oh yeah Final Fantasy Seven Metal Gear Solid Three Double yeah. Three yeah you like roll that. through them very quickly off, instantly yeah. off the top of my head um, but mine go back to, I, I I don't reference it as often even though it's one of my favorite periods in gaming period you know the two of the ones I mentioned offhand quickly because they just always come to me because they were that was very impressionable and that's just they got me into gaming is like I, I even tweeted today um, that you know shout out to my first love uh, that I ever had was me playing Crash Bandicoot one on a PlayStation one and then followed not you know followed a couple years later by my first obsession which was of course Kingdom Hearts 1 on the PS2 uh, and that was those were the two things that really kicked me into just being a gamer full on. I played games as a kid on and I played other games on PS1 but that's what really did it for me. But outside of those, I actually have a lot of fantastic memories with the PS3. Partially cuz it's your teenage years and you can it's easier to look back on your teenage years in a way that feels like you at least for right now where I'm at age-wise, it feels like it's not that far away. Like I can I can almost perfectly remember it. But there's still that nostalgic rose-tinted slightness to it. And, you know, but um, one of my favorite things that we did, and it, and it ties up into being a PS3 game, not only that, but also uh, PS3 exclusive at the time, um, DC Universe Online. And this is one of those things where it's not, it's less about the game itself. More about the experience. And more about, for some reason, the way the experience worked out. It was very cold in this house before I put heat and air in it. It was just always cold. Just was, and since I lived there as a teenager, uh, and we didn't have any form of heat in the rooms, they were only in the gas heaters that are the size of the house. Uh, you just kind of were like, you gotta suck it up and do it, you know. So we'd be wrapped up in multiple blankets and stuff, and uh, it was right before I moved out to the new house. So it's kind of like my last little few months here where I wasn't having to pay rent or yeah. anything like that. And uh, me and Blaze and Jonathan all got DC Universe Online. Uh, and during its free trial thing or free period? No, we, we bought the game day one. Okay. And day one came with a month of play. Yeah. Uh, and then that was back when the game was still pay to play Yeah. Uh, before it went free to play. And whenever we were playing it, we were going through and it was just, it was days molded together of just me and blaze sitting here, two TVs set up in the corner, playing the game just constantly. 
And it, and it, it's tied into a bunch of other memories, and that's one of those things that I love about it so much is because it, it was kind of branches because your... it was so cold here that it's why I can remember it so vividly. Yeah, is like uh, it was actually really cold here, which is rare. It was one of the last times that it snowed a lot. I still had the old black truck, and the snow was built up on my truck alone that much. So Ooh. seven inches Ooh. just for being at work. That is so rare. If you live anywhere in this in this area, you know that that's a very rare that's thing. Very rare. It does yeah. not. If if it even snows, it's normally like this little, slightly uh, slightly steroided out sleet. Is kind of what our snow pretty is. much. Yeah. It, this was a real powder that you could pick up, and we were just being ridiculous. We were we were went into the AutoZone parking lot over here, in my truck, and it was empty. And we pulled in because we saw Blaze's dad who was doing drifting around in the parking lot because no one else was there. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna do it too. So we were doing that. But it just ties into that thing. Is it was it was one of those things where online, like you know, doing an MMO on a console was still pretty new, even though that Final Fantasy Eleven had been the one to pioneer it on PS2. Yeah, uh, it had that feel too. It was like, wow, I'm playing this game on a console, and it was the first time that I had played an MMO. And I know it was one of the first ones, probably not the only one, probably not the first one, but uh, one of the earliest examples I can remember of seeing an MMO being not. Uh, I'm trying to even think of the word to say this, but auto attack. You don't click and then it continues to attack for you. Yeah. Instead, it's real time combat that you do. And that's perfect. You know, I really don't like the idea of playing a superhero game where I'm not the one doing every move. It makes no sense. That's what I liked about Final Fantasy 14 is that technically like it, like there is an auto attack in the game. If you just sit there and click X on them and just let your character attack, but then you are constantly hitting buttons. To yeah. Combos. Now, but that's still going through the thing of what you're doing is just rolling through a skill set. I guess so, yeah. Now, for me, I like the idea of even the most basic attack. They don't happen unless I do them. Yeah. And I love that. I like being... And then the combos that come from that. And the combos give you a little bit of a in-between where you don't have to use your skills just yet. So I feel I love that structure, that structural setup, and that exists uh, on, in the same way on Black Desert Online, and I really like that. Um, it's one of the few... There's not a lot of games that choose to do that, and actually it was one of the things that made me... Even though I didn't think it was anything like the Elder Scrolls in a lot of ways, it was one of the charming and compelling parts to me about Elder Scrolls Online is that they chose to have something that is more like Skyrim basic style of shield sword, blocking real time, swinging real time. Yeah. But then, of course, you have all of the big things that you would do. Yeah. And I thought that was great because I was like, you know, if you're going to make a game like the Elder Scrolls Online, you have to do it in a way that still feels at least somewhat Elder Scrolls-like. And if, if they would have taken out everything else they did and then also taken out that, I don't think they could have sold it at all. No. Uh, but they did it in a good way. So going back to there, though, it was just days and days of us playing, getting to grips with this, learning a lot of the things that still to this day that that game did that I don't see a lot of games do that are my, some of my favorite things. Um Introducing the idea of styles for armor. So if you get a piece of armor and it has that style, if it's a shoulder piece and the style on it was demonic, then you unlock that style. And regardless of what other shoulder piece you put on in the future, there was a demonic you can style go in it. and you could go in and change it to demonic style, and it would look just like the piece you just had on. That's cool. So if you wanted to upgrade your armor but keep your look, you could. And on top of that, the overall color. And did you ever play the game? No. At all? It still goes to this day. It's actually a fun game, but it's just do you have time for it? Yeah. Um, the, the setup is that your overall thing has got like a Warframe setup to where you have three colors, right? And you can change your whole armor at all at the same time with three colors. Your primary color, your secondary color, and then your accent color. Then 
you could do that, but then you could also drill into every individual piece and then change its color so that you could inverse them if you wanted to do different color things. Unlike a game like um, Warframe or, or Destiny, where when you put a shader on it, it just changes everything. Or in Warframe, when you change the three, it changes your whole set. Instead, you can go through and actually say, hey, you know what? I want to have a black and white chest where the white's the most prominent, but on my shoulders, I want to go the black most prominent. You can do that. And I love that setup. It just gave me a feeling of ultimate customization. It was really fun. We were joking around, having fun. And it all came about from, a th- you know, the, the great thing about the PS3 and 360 era was that it really did bring together online gaming to what it really is now. I mean, you can give credit to Xbox for doing that throughout the original Xbox's run, but it wasn't to the style that we saw both consoles hit throughout the, throughout the PS3, 360 generation. And I love that. And I think I've mentioned it on here before, but just a quick shout out to my other is Little Big Planet 2 basketball minigame. It's one of my favorite things ever. If you've never played that, I urge you to this day, it's still so hilarious and I, ridiculous and fun, but it's something that you want to do with people in the room with you. And I'll give a quick shout out to my one of the other ones that will never change. That's Bloodborne's getting 40 insight slash beating ROM and then oh, going yes. back into the shadow. Like I'm telling you, there was two scenes or two uh, parts in that game that like literally... I was, I was, I remember playing it at like 2 or 3 a.m. because that's when I used to stay up all night and play games and sleep all day until I had to go to work. <laughs> and I remember like there was one, there's two scenes where you, uh, where that happened and then you can finally walk through Yarnum and see what has been on the, 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 the walls the entire time and that terrified me. Then there was another and there, I can't think of what it's called, but there's like this big eyeball thing in the game. It's like this weird sexual monster that like, that you end up having to drop down, but you can go down there and look at it. And I don't remember what it was. I don't know that I've seen that. And that's one of those great things about a lot of these games too, is like, you know, you mentioned Metal Gear Solid early on is that when the games have multiple ways for you to do stuff or things that not every player has to see, it's always interesting. Yeah. Like I really don't know what this monster is called, but it's brain of Mensis. And I remember it needing like you, are you needing to go down there for something? I just don't remember what, but it was terrifying. It was in a completely pitch back room except for that. Wow. And you ended up cutting it down there to go down there. That's what it looked like held up by chains and you had to it dropped down that hole and you had to go down there to, to see it. And it's terrifying. Like I did not expect to see that thing that big there wandering around. Like, look at that. You you walk down there with a torch and all of a sudden you see an eyeball looking at you like that. You don't remember that? No. Oh dude, that terrifying. That has to be optional content. I mean, yeah, it is. That I just didn't see. I just can't remember why you go down there. Uh, well, you know, I never got the blood chunk. Was it to get the blood chunk stone? Because it was the one thing that I didn't get. It might be. That's it, interesting. It might be. But uh, community state question. We want to hear what everybody's favorite pl- PlayStation moment was. Even give us a little runner up if you want. Throw in a little extra in there. And of course, if you liked the video, like the video. If you dislike it, dislike it. Be <laughs> honest with us. Tell us what we can do to improve. Yeah. And don't forget... If you really, really want to support us, head over to our Patreon. The link is always in the description. And I will let Brett end us off with thanking those people who, of course, are sure, our Sure, but of course, on YouTube, subscribe if you like what we're doing. Comment down below if you like what we're talking about and have anything you want to add on to it. Of course, you can do that on social media or on YouTube. Uh, and uh, if you are listening on podcast services and you like the episode uh, and, and feel compelled to, we'd love to see uh, you give us a review. It lets people know that the show is worth their time. And uh, actually, this morning on Twitter, we got a shout-out where someone uh, suggested us to someone looking for a PlayStation-centric podcast. Yeah, so, so thank you thank you, thank to you. you spreading the uh, word. But anyway, yeah, we're going to cut this thing off and head on. But we hope you guys have a good week. Thanks. Thank you all. 
Thanks to our patrons, <laughs> Dan Barber, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, the two I still haven't added. Uh, Sadly, and I apologize for that being, um, I think he's probably want to go by Solitary Red. That's what I'm going to use for now. And, of course, our boy Chad Sandcoffin. Uh, anyway, keep going. Josh Durrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan Douglas Below, Sean Santarude, Eric McAllister, Matt Sycamore, Funk Turkey, Shadowist Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanland, Coy Live, Philip Laguerre, Corey Hickerson, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, and last but certainly not least, Mr. Dylan Kirby. Thank you so much. <laughs>